Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Stein, and today's message is from our Grand Point Easter service. Today's message is about how darkness is limiting in so many ways, but perhaps near the top of the list is the fact that it limits us from seeing. And if seeing is believing, that means darkness might even keep us from believing. What is true in the natural world is also true in the spiritual world. Today's message is centered on pushing back the darkness and allowing us to see the bright side of the Easter story, the resurrected Christ. If you'd like to follow along with today's message from Pastor Kevin Elworth, our feature verses come from John 20, 1-18. So it says, early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to this tomb, saw that the stone had been moved away from the entrance, and she ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, breathlessly panting. They took the master from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put, put him. Look, just, just center on that line. They took the master from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. I want you to feel like the weight of her emotion as she speaks those words. They took the master from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. This morning, as I I mentioned to you just a few minutes ago, I want to take you on a different journey today. I want to, I don't want to preach to you today. I want to tell you a narrative. Some of this will sound like uh, you're actually in the story, and then there'll be moments where uh, I, I maybe make a point of application, but I want you to feel the emotion of what these people felt. I want you to walk the steps that they walked that day. I want you to, to live like you were almost, if you have to close your eyes and just envision this as I try to paint a picture and walk you through this story, then you do that. But I want you to feel it. I want you to smell the air. I want you to feel the wind as it blows on that day. Put yourself right there on that road where she's standing right here in this front of this tomb. She's desperate. She's passionate. She's emotional. She's wrecked with what she is seeing or not seeing in this moment. This has been a long week. Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. Actually, it's probably been really fast. If you, if you look back to it, in fact, as I was reading through it again just this morning, just to get my mind in there again, John doesn't really do justice. In fact, he leaves a lot of details out. So I found myself going back to Matthew to find how Matthew kind of filled in some of the gaps of the story. But this was actually a several, about a week period of time. I think, you know, Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, we can get this, uh, this idea. And so what the emotion is on Sunday, everybody's passionate. Everybody's excited. Jesus is in town. He's got Lazarus with him. We want to see him. This is the king coming hosanna they're crying out jesus save us they literally thought that jesus was coming to overthrow the government so that he would be king because in their minds this guy who had been so loving so caring so kind so compassionate to them if he could be our ruler if he could be the one over us then we would be just fine they were putting their trust in just the form of a government that's all they could see was that as long as jesus can be king over this thing we call government that we will be fine they, they had no, all they could see was their like, their, their so finite few day future. 
If we can just get food for us, then we will be okay. If we can just get somebody to take care of us in our few days on this earth, then we'll be fine. And Jesus has clearly a much broader focus for, our, for the future of the world than just the people that he's looking at right then. Yes, certainly he wanted to save them. Yes, certainly he wanted them to feel more comfortable and to be a little bit better. But he was actually looking to make the whole world for every generation of all time a little bit better and not just them. And that was tough to swallow. That was tough to understand because who cares what generations are coming out? I can really only care about me today. I don't care what's coming next. That's what they, they couldn't break away from that. I need for me today and why won't Jesus just save for today? So you lead up to this and, and, and to these moments and, and so Jesus, you see Jesus like he's teaching with his disciples. He's engaging and in, in, connecting with people as he goes through his week this is where jesus like turns over tables in the temple or or he has an interaction with people in the temple and he makes them mad again and and so he has these interactions with these pharisees and sadducees and and he's just all around he's either making people really frustrated or he's healing people or he's just being super generous and gracious and and he's just doing what jesus does and then you come to where um the story begins to shift gears and change and I think it takes place on Thursday where Jesus tells his disciples, hey, go find this room. You're going to go to this place, and there's a, a room prepared. We're going to go there. We're going to have this Passover supper. And, and, and he, in his mind, he's recognizing that the day is done. The day is finished. These people are all looking for Jesus. As he walked into town that day, as they saw him, and all through the week they looked for him, they saw him, they found him, they interacted with him. And I just kind of have to ask you, what? What's the holdout of what you're looking for today? What, like, what, what is the delay? What's the thing that's just going to push you over the edge and recognize that this, this person, this thing, this story that I've heard, this is exactly what I'm looking for? This is one of those moments where I'm going to take you out of the narrative for just a minute and kind of get you up to speed on life. How many of you are like power shoppers? Wow, we are very like, what's a power shopper? Okay, um, well, I would define it like this, or bargain shopper, bargain hunter. I'm the kind of person that, like, that I've got to, like, i got to go get something from the store, and i got to find out if that's the best price. I, so I'm, like, there with my phone, and I'm, like, I, you know, Amazon in that thing. Are you with me? And then there's always in the back of your mind, like, can I get it used cheaper somewhere else? And how do you know? How do you know? Come on. You don't know, do you? Just don't. You just got to go with it. And then there's that fateful moment where you find it at some offhand store, and you're like, I could have saved $5. (laughs) Wrecks me every time. I think that we're in this moment, we're seeing... If we can find a better deal, we're constantly, we look at Jesus, we know he's there, and I, I really think he really looks close to what I'm looking for, but is there a better deal? Is there something else out there that answers a few more of my questions, that makes this a little bit more understandable, that's a little bit more finite, that I can wrap my arms around because there's so many things about Jesus that I just don't get And all these people on that day, they were ready to put their faith and their trust, 
They were ready to follow Jesus' heart, soul, mind, and strength because he was answering the questions. And we're a little bit farther removed from them. We don't have the privilege of being able to see him and put our hands on him and hear his voice like they did in that day. And we have to walk a little bit more by trust. A lot of like what they did, but a little bit different. It was so exciting to be a part of Jesus' presence in this moment. If like you were one of the disciples and you were following them on that day, you were part of Jesus' message. With every story that he told, with every message that he was, it was like the audience and then the disciples like back here and they're like, yeah, get them, Jesus. Yeah, get them. That's what I would have said too. It's what I would have done. You know, you're just there. You're part of the story. This is so emphatic. This is so emotional. This is so amazing. They were there to validate the message that Jesus preached. Those final moments, those final sermons of whatever audience would listen in those days until the fateful moment in that garden when Judas walks in with a kiss. He betrays Jesus and all the disciples are gone. And who could blame them? Jesus didn't blame them. I mean, it's not like they could be the co-savior of the world. Why should they risk death? Why? They knew what was going to happen. Jesus was so ridiculously confrontational. He, He had put himself in this position because he was so good and so kind and so honest. The Last Supper, Judas' betrayal, the kiss in the garden, the arrest, Jesus was on his way to a very brief and a very biased trial, and his disciples, you, all scattered, gone. You're, you're, still, you're, you're here, you're still there, you're watching from a distance, but no way are you going to associate with what this guy's doing. For fear of, for risk of, what are they going to do to me? Guilt by proximity. I was close to him, and now I'm guilty too. I don't want to be a part of that. This is terrifying. Jesus wouldn't hold that against you. He wouldn't hold it against them. No one could deny the fear of fleeting. Not even Jesus could or would condemn them for their fear. Anybody would. This was excruciating for those watching. The the words that that were being accused of him or that were saying against Jesus, he couldn't deny it. He, He just stood there. He just was whatever. They were accusing him of just being who he was. Smell the air on this day. The Bible paints us a picture of a really, really intense thunderstorm. Feel it. Can you hear the wind begin to blow and rush and the climate begin to change? The air begins to get cooler. Can you feel the tension as you see this storm coming, one that's never been before? And then you know that Jesus is like, he's close to being accused. And so to surpass this, to try to accomplish what these people wanted, let's just try to torture him for a while. Let's just beat him. Maybe that will suffice what, the, what they want. You know, they, they're crying out for his death, but if we could just beat him close to death, would that be enough? I mean, so you have this, this idea of Roman punishment, a punishment so incredibly violent that it was re- reserved for only citizens who, quote unquote, deserved not just punishment, but public ridicule. And embarrassment, complete humiliation was the goal of a Roman scourging. It was so, it was inflicting the most violent pain on a person. Scourging was not meant to kill. It was meant to bring to the point of death, but not death so as to provide the most intense form of pain. That's what this was. That's what this person, whoever this was, was going to endure as they were scourged, beat, over 
and over and over. Essentially tied up to like a post and, and like this so that their back would be super tight. So when this, when this whip struck them, it would strike a, a tightened back. And you can imagine what that would do. Put yourself right there. I'm sure there's some kind of perimeter, a fence. You can't get too close. They wouldn't want people trying to save him. But you're there in that moment as these soldiers who have been taught to be emotionally and vehemently angry at somebody who's only done good. It's their job to inflict this punishment. Can you imagine what they're feeling on this moment, on this day, as they inflict a punishment that somebody else gave? Can you imagine the people who are standing there in the audience, in the proximity, recognizing this Jesus, this person who they have so trusted and put their faith in, be so brutalized in this fashion, and you are powerless to do anything about it? This Savior, he wasn't just being killed, he was being terrorized. So I brought one of these whips with me today, and this one looks kind of corny, but I found it on eBay. And th- so this is called a cat of nine tails. You've heard of them before. They're used in for like horses and horse riding and stuff. I wouldn't, but I don't ride horses either. <laughs> Can you imagine this? It's got metal on the end of it. And I th- I'm sure this is, this is really lightweight. I'm sure there's like plastic in here. But they say that they was, these were embedded with stone and bone and glass in the end of these. So that when they struck this victim with this tightened back, it would literally dig into their flesh and rip it off. Can you imagine this? I mean, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't punishing Jesus for being bad. They were terrorizing Jesus for being good. With every blow, I mean, can you just imagine for healing, for healing, for on the Sabbath healing, for blasphemy. For being the son of God, for calling yourself the son of God, for telling us that you're the son of Abraham, and before we were, you are. Over and over and over again. Can you feel it? Can you hear with every strike that that this is coming down, this savior I mean, at one moment he could say, this is enough. How do you murder someone for being too kind? They wouldn't even punish the ones who actually deserved it. How about Barabbas? They just let him go. No, but they squeezed their guilty verdict by the ones who simply turned a blind eye and declared it wasn't their problem. Now they're able to accuse and convict him with anything they wanted. Blasphemy, betrayal, being too hard to understand, living outside the confines of our expectation, doing things that we don't explain. Listen to this. The church historian Eusebius of Caesarea recounts with vivid, horrible detail a scene of scourging. He says, for they say that the bystanders were struck, that's you, the bystanders were struck with such amazement when they saw them lacerated with scourges even to the innermost veins and arteries so that the hidden inward parts of their body both their bowels and their members were exposed to view i maybe should have said that this is probably not rated g today can you imagine it can you smell it 
we all have this idea of maybe we don't but we've we've become so normalized with the story of easter with the death on the cross that it was just a death on a cross it was just jesus dying for us it wasn't any big deal he just died until we actually live through and imagine the moments of his story feel the motion of these people who had just put their faith in this person and had altered their very lives for a savior and are now watching him endure something they could never have imagined it was the worst day of their life it was the worst day of life it was the worst day of eternity to watch jesus move from here it's now friday He's hanging on a cross. He can't hang there very long. It's going to be Sabbath, the Sabbath day soon. Sabbath was Saturday. Nothing can happen on the Sabbath day. So they've got to get his body off the cross. They've got to make sure he's dead. That's why you hear the story about them shoving a spear in his side. They didn't break any bones like they did to the others on, on either side of them. They broke bones because death by crucifixion was not death by nails. It was death by suffocation. Because you have to pull yourself up to take a breath. And if you, can't have, if you don't have legs, you can't pull yourself up. That's why they broke their legs, except Jesus, because he was already dead. Another, we talked last week that you can trust the scriptures. That was a scriptural prophecy that no bone in his body would be broken because he was already dead. Can you imagine what would take place on that Saturday? This is the Sabbath day. You don't do anything on the Sabbath day. Nothing gets done. Can you imagine the torture that these people went through on Saturday? I, as I look at this, I think the timing of Jesus' death had to be completely strategic. Because if he had died any other day of the week, they could have gone. They could have gone to the grave. They, could have, they would have been there. They probably would have camped there. But no, because it overlapped the Sabbath People, all, all people, they stayed where they were. They stayed at home. They did their family stuff. They, they emotionally, they grieved over this loss with their families. Nobody was at this grave. Maybe there was, maybe there was a guard, maybe there was something, I don't know. But it set the stage for what happened on Sunday. Sunday morning. And you get this vision, this idea of early in the morning on the first day of the week. I, this is early in the morning. I mean, the sun's not, it's dark. I mean, Mary, I bet you she hasn't slept at all. This woman who meant so much to Jesus. Who meant, Jesus meant so much to her even. She, she hasn't slept since Friday, since she was in the audience watching this happen on that day. She's, as soon as she has strength, as soon as that Sabbath's over, she's there. She's on her way to the tomb. Because in this moment, she's going to bring hope to rest. She's going to, it's gone. Hope is extinguished. You get this, right? It is gone. We put our hope in a Savior, and that Savior failed us. He died on a cross. Shouldn't he be more powerful than that? He is dead. She's going to the grave to, per, to prepare his body for an eternity of rest, to be there forever. You see, maybe, I don't know, maybe there was some connection between Lazarus rose from the dead but in their minds, there was no, I mean, it's one thing for us to understand, to, to really try. I can try to understand that Jesus could have the power to raise somebody else from the dead. But how do you have the power to raise yourself from the dead? 
this was done. It was so final. It was finished in their minds. So when he rolls up on this tomb this morning, stones rolled away. She finds the grave empty. Hope had not arrived yet. And in her mind, this was even more hopeless. Because how do you, how do you move on without a body? This was even worse. I mean, for those of you who have suffered the pain of loss, can you imagine having to move on without a body? Can you, can you fathom that? That's where she was on this day. How do, we, how do we deal with the fact that he's dead and now we can't even say goodbye? This was personal. This was emotion all over again on such a different level. Somebody's robbed this grave. How are they supposed to have resolution and finality with a lost body? How would this terrible season end? If they could just finalize this burial, they could be, begin to move beyond, but never without a body. And that's where we jump back into this story in John chapter 20, verse number 3. Peter and the other disciple left immediately after they get this word from Mary. Mary's come back. She's told them the stone's rolled away. The grave is empty. Peter and the other disciple left for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first. This is John writing. He's writing of himself. He's clearly telling us that he's a faster runner than Peter. <laughs> Stooping in to look, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Peter, a little bit more brave, arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloth lying there, and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but separate, neatly folded by itself. And then the other disciple, John, the one who had gotten there first, continues to remind us that, still the faster runner, went into the tomb, I love this, took one look at the evidence and believed. And some of you have been investigating for so long. You've been comparing notes, comparing evidence. You, you might not lay it out on the table and try to investigate this for yourself, you know, with intense and intentionality, but you're comparing. You're comparing saviors. And you have been for a long time. It took John one look to look at this evidence and believe. No one yet knew the scriptures that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples went back home, scratching their heads. What is going on? Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there dressed in white. One at the head and the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. And they said to her, woman, why do you weep? They took my master. Can you feel the pain as she says those words? They took my master. Who took him? I don't know where they put him. After she said this, she turned away and she saw Jesus standing there. Look at those words. She saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus speaking to her. I mean, can you get this? This is not like a foggy moment, too many tears. She sees Jesus. She probably does recognize. Man, you look a lot, a lot like, you look a lot like this guy. Like, this is double take. You know what I mean? Like, what am I seeing right now? But you can't, she can't believe this. He's dead. Somebody's taken him. Who are you? You look a lot like Jesus. Jesus spoke to her, woman, why do you weep? Who? Not what? Look at, look at that. He immediately changes the story. If you're looking for a body, you're looking for a what? Aren't you? 
who? Who are you looking for? She said, thinking that he was a gardener, saying, Mister, if you took him, tell me where you put him so that I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary. Turning to his face, she said in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go to my brothers and tell them I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went telling the news to the disciples, I saw the Master. And she told them everything that he said to her. Like the light bulb changed. It's solidified. It's there. It works. It makes sense. He's alive. I've got it. This is a celebrating moment for her. Everything, hope has been restored. And I got to help you understand today that hope is restored in your world too. Because Jesus is alive, everything's changed. Everything's different. Everything looks better. Everything looks brighter because Jesus is alive. There is nothing in your world that can be held down today because Jesus is alive. And you need to look at that. You need to understand it. You need to understand the hope that came through an empty tomb. Because if Jesus is alive, then nothing is impossible. Listen, some of you came in here today and you've heard this story so many times. And that's why I just wanted to revisit the story with you. But I want to ask you today to stop considering the story. And understand it. Claim it. Make it your story. Paul said this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, companions, we have worked, we are in this work with you, and we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life that God has given to you. In other words, make a decision. Stop, stop beating around the bush and make a decision. God remind us, I've heard your call, and in the nick of time, the day you needed me, I was there to help. And now is the right time to listen, the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything that we're doing. Make a choice. Today is the day. Now is the time. Stop holding out. Listen, I've been praying for you all week. I've been praying for those of you that would come in here and understand that you've been searching, you've been looking, you've been bargain hunting. I've been praying that God would speak directly to your heart. I've been praying for those of you who grew up in church and you've been, you've revisited this story a thousand times. You could tell it better than I could. And I wanted to just help you understand the magnitude of what this person went through for you and for me. God, I want to just thank you today for your hope. I want to thank you today for, good Lord, what you've done. But who are we? Who are we that, that, you would, that you would pay such a high price? God, that we would be worth, that we would be worth such a torture, that we would be worth such an investment, Lord. Church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to make this your own today. For the, for the people that are in here and this is a story refresher for you. Man, take a moment and thank God for what he's done in your heart and in your life. Thank God for what he did through Jesus. Just take this moment and thank him right now. And for the person that's in here and, and you know that you need to make a decision today to follow Jesus as your savior. Can you make that decision today? 
That's why we're here as a church. We're not here to count numbers. We're not here to uh, tally up. We're, we're here to help you take a step in your walk with Jesus. And to some of you today, that step is salvation. It's making Jesus your Savior. Look at the evidence and believe. If that's your story, if that's the thing that God is speaking into your heart today, stop waiting. The Bible says in Romans that if we would believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we are saved. It's like we've accepted this gift. You're receiving it. You're taking it in your hands and saying, thank you, God, for the gift. Can you make this gift yours today? Let me just tell you one more time in plain language. Believe it and speak it in my heart. Yes, I believe I'm a sinner and I need the Savior. And I believe, God, that you sent Jesus to that cross to pay for my sins Listen, today, a decision like this comes with a lot of questions. It comes with a lot of, like, what, what just happened and what happens next? That's why we're here. That's what we do. We help, we walk together to take our next step in our walk with Jesus. So if you're making this decision today, I want to help you take your next step. What does this mean? What is it? Stop by the hub today and help us understand what you've done and what you want to do next. In this message, we learn that Jesus is not the king we want, but he is the king we need. How does that truth adjust the expectations you have of him? Very practically, what are some of the things you want, but don't necessarily need? What are the things that you need? Consider getting together with some friends this week, or even jump over to one of our social media accounts at Grand Point Church and answer these questions for us. We'd love to talk to you about it. Think about how does the fact that Jesus is King change your Monday through Friday? How does it impact your friendships, family, and career? If Jesus is on the throne of your life, how does that change you? Thanks so much for joining us today on the Grand Point Church Podcast. Your next step starts here. To learn more about us, visit grandpoint.church. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love for you to share it with a friend, leave a review, or use the hashtag GPC podcast when you connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Grand Point Church. We'll see you next week.